Let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. I want to talk about, this weekend, I want to talk about interruptions. Interruptions. Say interruptions. Uh, definition is to cause to cease, as in the middle of doing or saying something. And I will ask you to indulge me. One of the things I like about humor is when you have a joke that perfectly matches the setting. And this is, I'm going to tell you a horrible joke, but I'm, I have no shame. Um, it's a knock-knock joke. I've said it years ago. Knock-knock. Interrupting cow. Moo. I love that joke. Think about it. If you don't get it, ask your neighbor. So I was, yesterday I was like, I'd like to do it more Christmas, like interrupting camel, but I couldn't figure out what a camel noise is, so I stick with the cow. Cattle are lowing the poor baby wakes, right? So that's so fits. All right. Um, interruptions are part of life. In fact, you need to expect them. All right? Say expect interruptions. All right? Uh, not all interruptions last or should keep our attention. Some you do need to just kind of push off. And interruptions that last can become something that God can use. We're going to talk about that. And in fact, some interruptions God causes or God wants to happen. And we can see that as well. And I want to share that in the context of Christmas just starting up because it's a busy season and, and we have a tendency to either get so locked in to Christmas and what's happening that we blow off other interruptions or we have so much going on we tend to blow off Christmas like it's an interruption. So I want to kind of tweak your perspective on time and on what happens and maybe broaden what God might want to do in your life and through your life. So let's, uh, let's see if indeed... Uh, God can use interruptions. Let's go back to a, a biblical uh, memory lane. And we'll go way back to Joseph. And these notes are in your app, and the, the closing prayer is as well. But Joseph was interrupted by his jealous brothers. And I kind of chose those words on purpose in that situation on purpose because uh, with Thanksgiving just behind us and Christmas coming up, most of us, how many of you are going to spend some time with family, extended family, or in-laws during the holidays? Let me see, all right? Or you already have. Okay, good. How many of you did not come from a perfect family and don't have one? Let me see your hand, okay? So the dysfunction can happen. And so uh, I want you to kind of maybe step outside of your role or who you are in your family and maybe be more objective about the interruptions that happen there. little context. Uh, Jacob is the sort of a founding father, genetic uh, founding father of the nation of Israel. And we'll see how well you remember preached the Bible. He had 12 sons. It became the 12 tribes. All right. If you said that, give yourself a pat on the back. The 12 tribes of Israel. And they divide into 12, they divide the territory into 12 states. So these are, these are heavy hitter guys, okay, spiritually, nationally. And yet you talk about dysfunction in the first family. It was incredible. I mean, almost unprecedented. Uh, and uh, Jacob didn't help it, Dad, uh, because he played favorites. And he has 12 sons, and one of his sons was his favorite, and his name was Joseph. And it was ob he wasn't even subtle about it. It was obvious. I mean, he's got 12 sons. They're all wearing ancient Middle Eastern brown, you know, robes and coats, if you will. And Joseph gets a coat of many colors. That would have cost a fortune. Oh, Joseph, all right? So with that in mind, then Joseph on top of it has this dream, tells his brothers, I dreamt you're going to bow down to me, pay homage to me. So anything, it, it was a mess. So with that said, let's jump into Genesis 37 and see how he was interrupted by his jealous brothers. Then Jacob said to Joseph, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock because they're taking care of the sheep. 
next week, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. When they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. I told you, dysfunctional. And these brothers hate him with a passion. And so a couple of them pushed back on the other brothers. Okay, let's not go that far. So the scheme they come up with, you can read about it in Genesis. They, they rip his multicolored coat from him. They dip it in animal blood. They take that back to Dad. They tear it up a little bit. And they say, Dad, look, we found his coat. They don't say what they did. They just say, we found his coat. They let Dad put two plus two together and get six, okay? Oh, he must have been killed by an animal and died. They let their father, talk about dysfunction, they let their father go through a complete grief reaction and never say, oh, by the way, Dad, no, he didn't really die. How horrible is that? They take their brother Joseph, then they throw him into a pit. I'm sure there's a fist fight ensues. They beat him up a little bit, and they throw him into a pit. Imagine being Joseph. You're out of breath. You're in the bottom of this pit. You're bleeding. You're sweaty. You're scared to death. You heard them talking now about killing you. And so the, one of the brothers said, let's sell them to those traders going by. Right, there's a trade route. And so they sell them to Midianite traders who take him, as far as they know, never to be seen again. That is an interruption. Joseph thought he was just going out to see his brothers. He wasn't looking forward to it. I'm going to hang out some, see how the flocks are. I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell dad what I saw. That was the plan. It did not go according to plan. Huge interruption that his brothers brought. But here's, and so hopefully whatever interruptions your family brings don't compare. But think about you know, the dinner conversation, and all of a sudden, aunt, cousin, brother, sister, mom, dad says, whatever, all right, insert foot in your mouth, or they say something hurtful or whatever, and they interrupt what was going good. Or so-and-so calls, and their plans change, and they're running late, or we're not coming, or whatever. I mean, whatever interruptions you're going to deal with a family, all right, it's easy for us when we get interrupted, especially when things are planned a certain way, we kind of get, well, maybe not. When I get interrupted, I can get aggravated. Anybody else can get aggravated? Okay, thank you. Honesty, all right? Um, we can get aggravated, whatever, and, and that may be understandable, but it's also helpful to just ask yourself, okay, is there a moment in this somewhere? In fact, with Joseph's interruption, God used that in phenomenal ways. It took like over 17 years. But here's this teenager, probably 16, 17, maybe. He, he, he gets sold to the Midianites who sell him to Egyptians. You can read the story. He's in and out of slavery in jail. And before it's over with, God promotes Joseph. He goes from the pit to the palace. He's number two in the Egyptian empire, second only to Pharaoh. And God gave Joseph this dream on how to save the nation and, and civilization from a famine. And when you know it, his brothers come, not knowing it's him, and they bow down and pay homage to buy grain from him in Egypt. I mean, God used that interruption. Amen? If God can use that interruption, dysfunctional, hate-filled, I mean, if he can use that, I wonder if he can use some of the disruptions and interruptions you're going to have with your family, as functional or dysfunctional as they might be. Moses was interrupted by a burning bush. And again, the story about Moses. Moses, uh, there's a lot of parallels between Moses and Jesus. You know, Moses gets the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Jesus reinterprets those on, on the Sermon on the Mount. 
when Jesus was born, Herod the king was so threatened, he says, I want every baby boy living in the vicinity of Bethlehem, two years of age and younger, to be slaughtered. And when Moses was born, Pharaoh is so threatened, he wants every baby boy who's Jewish because of this nation that's rising up to be drowned in the Nile. Well, Moses' mother said, I ain't doing that. So she kept him as long as she could. He's starting to get older and fussy, and so they, they build this wicker basket. You can read the story. They put him in that, and they hide him in the cattails along the Nile River, and she has his older sister just hide there along the riverbank and kind of watch and see what happens. God has a sense of humor because Pharaoh, the one who wants to kill all these baby boys, his daughter comes to bathe in the Nile, and while she is there with her servants, she hears a noise and looks up, and there she sends a basket. She sends one of her servants to go get it, and she brings this gorgeous little Jewish baby. She falls in love with this baby, love at first sight, and this daughter of Pharaoh, who wants to kill every Jewish baby, says, Dad, can I keep him? And on top of that, talk about a sense of humor. So Moses' little sister, older sister, comes and says, hey, you know, he's a Jewish baby. I can get a Jewish woman to nurse him until he's ready to be in your home. So she pays Moses' mother to nurse Moses and, and to end up living in Pharaoh's home. Yet this is the one Pharaoh wanted to kill him. God has a sense of humor. And... And so anyways, Moses lives in Pharaoh's home in the palace for 40 years, all the rights and privileges of Egyptian royalty. But over time, it starts to bug him that I'm a Jew and I'm keeping it a secret and I see what my people are dealing there in horrible slavery being treated harshly. So one day he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Jew, a slave, and so he defends the Jewish slave, actually ends up killing the Egyptian, buries him. He gets found out. He ends up running for his life. He's a fugitive from the law. Pharaoh wants him dead. So he spends 40 years in Egypt and then 40 years in the wilderness tending his father-in-law's sheep. That had to make 40 years feel like 150 years. I mean, tending sheep. No offense to sheep herders in the, in, the, in the crowd, all right? So let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed." Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And that would just blow your mind. He said, here I am. Maybe he said, here I am. And when we look at Moses, when we talk about interruptions, amazing interruptions can come in the midst of very mundane, even boring, day-to-day, same-old, same-old. I mean, I'm projecting, and I'm not an expert on sheep herding, but sheep herding doesn't sound like real exciting to me. I mean, at least you're herding cows, you could be a cowboy, and you know, I mean, when you shep, what do you do? You know, you, you sit down and watch the sheep. And then when they're all done eating the grass there, you get them up and you move them to another patch of grass, and they eat that grass. And then, you, you know, I mean, my goodness, David was a shepherd. He had enough time to write all kinds of songs. There's nothing to do out there. How many of you have some same old, same old in life? Routine. We all do. 
whether it's what you do around the house, what you do at work, at school. I mean, it just we fall in these routines, and it just everybody say same old, same old. Okay, but say it like you're bored. Same old, same old. Yeah. Well, sometimes there are interruptions in same old, same old. They're right from God. And even prepping this message, I'm like, man, Lord, I wonder how many times I just blew off or didn't pay attention to interruptions, either with family or with same old, same olds, because I didn't see the potential in it. I'm not saying that every interruption should be attended to. We'll, we'll look at that in Jesus' life. But I'm sure that more, at least for me, there are more I should have attended to that I probably didn't. And so whether you're going through family stuff this holiday season or whether you're just dealing with the routine of life, realize that God can be in and God can use interruptions that come your way. Gideon was interrupted while threshing wheat. So Gideon is a farmer, and you could call him a cowardly farmer because the Midianites were kind of their adversaries, and he is threshing wheat in a wine press, and a wine press is a recess in the ground, uh, often made of stone, and it's carved out, and so you crush grapes in it. You don't thresh wheat in it because you're down below ground, and if you're threshing wheat in it, it's a very dusty job. I mean, it's going to be a mess. You're going to be a mess, sweaty, dusty mess. You can't really breathe, but he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Why? Because if the Midianites go by, they'll come and take his crop. Cowardly farmer. And we learn some incredible things uh, in this interruption that comes in the middle of a hard day's work. I mean, that would not be, I would not volunteer to thresh wheat in a wine press if I had a job on the farm. And in Judges chapter 6, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite. And his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you cowardly farmer. No. The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Man, am I glad that that interruption is recorded in here. Because most of us are really aware of our inadequacies, where we fall short, how we're not, how we don't compare. And here, because this interruption is recorded in here, and it's just mundane, it's boring, no significance work, he's threshing wheat. And the angel appears to him and says, I want you to know how God sees you. I want you to know the potential that God sees in you, not what everybody else ascribes to you or what you have told yourself. I see you as a valiant warrior. It'd be so cool if we could take the time, and maybe you'd take some time, interrupt your schedule this week, and just ask the prayer, God, how do you see me? What label would you put on me? It wouldn't be repeated failure misfit, do nothing, has been, wouldn't be any of that. And in the middle of just day to day, if you, if you still work for a living outside the home on the count of three, tell me where you're going to go work this week. One, two, three. Wait, I'm sorry, I caught you off guard. And when I count to three, you say where you work. Ready? One, two, three. That's better. I thought you were all unemployed. Okay. And if you're, if you're retired or you're a full-time homemaker, that's still a lot of work. How many of you, if your boss is here, bosses deal with it. How many of you have some boring work that you do? Right? Some of it gets a boring routine, okay? I got routines. And we get interrupted at work. 
And many times we get missile lock. And so we're saying, oh, interruptions, interruptions. Sometimes the interruption is exactly what God wanted to bring your way. Again, I have to wonder, how many times did I blow off the interruption because I had to get a sermon done, and yet there was an interruption that was actually what God wanted to accomplish through me. And so let's, let's go a little further. Hopefully you change your orientation to what happens at work this week. But let's go to the next one. Jesus was interrupted. Would you say all the time? I haven't had this time to study this yet. Maybe I'll do it when I retire. A good project. I would love to go through the Gospels. Someday I will. Uh, and I have this intuitive sense. It might be most of what Jesus did. I don't know if that's the right word yet. Most, at least a huge percentage of what Jesus did, it was an interruption that he just simply attended to. It wasn't on the agenda. And somebody asked me, so well, he was fully God. Did he know it was coming? I don't know. Ask him when you get there, all right? It was an, it was an interruption from what was planned, all right? Most of what Jesus, many of his miracles, many of his teachings, it wasn't on the plan for the day. So well, let's see if that's true. First of all, his first interruption recorded in history uh, in, in the Gospels could be by his mom. They're at a wedding, a family friend, right? Jesus is just having fun with the, his buddies in the reception. And mom comes over and says, Jesus, so listen, they're out of wine. And what does Jesus say? Paraphrase, mom, that's not my problem. And his mom, like a good mom, ignores totally what her son says and just says to the servants, whatever he says, do it. Right? Oh, mom. Right? Okay. And what does he do? He changes water into wine. Why? Because his mother interrupted him. That's it. And his ministry begins. And another interruption. It's nighttime. How many of you go to bed after midnight? Uh, between 11 and 12? 10 to 11? I won't go any lower than that. It's embarrassing, right? <laughs> Studies do show 10 to 11 is like the ideal time, all right, to go to bed, get seven to nine hours, all right? Um, the older you get, the, the, sooner, the earlier that gets. But anyways, um, he's getting ready for bed-ish. It's, it's getting late. He's at least winding down, and somebody knock at the door, Hey, Jesus, there's somebody here to see you. Oh, man, tell him to come back tomorrow. Well, you probably ought to see him. They're kind of important. Who is it? It's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a, is a religious leader. He's like a who's who. You know, think of whoever people impress you in leadership. It's him. All right, tell him to come in. I am so glad that Jesus accommodated the interruption by Nicodemus. Because it's in that conversation that wasn't on the agenda for the day. It wasn't something that was prescripted. No, he has a conversation with Nicodemus, and I learn, we learn some incredible truths that, that echo through thousands of years of time today. First of all, I learned from his conversation with Nicodemus, unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And if that's you today, if you haven't been born again, you can't get to heaven from here. Like how good you are, like how religious you are, you cannot get there from here. And But I also learned in that conversation, that God's not a God who's eager to condemn us. He's not a God who wants to just judge and, and send you to hell. No, in that conversation, Jesus says to this man who interrupted his nighttime routine, God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten son himself. Whoever believes in him won't perish. He won't go to hell. He'll have eternal life. 
We also learn in the next verse that Jesus said, God didn't send his son, me, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that gives me such hope. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ, you haven't been born again, you need to. Stop by the, the Welcome Center on your way out. Our team will be glad to pray with you, give you some helpful material to what, what's that decision mean. But if it weren't for that interruption in Jesus accommodating that, we might have missed some of the greatest theological truths of all time. And then, <laughs> another interruption, they're traveling, and understand, everywhere Jesus went, for the most part, he went on foot all around the nation of Israel, walked there. And so they're, they're traveling, and they have to go through Samaria, and there was such tension between Samaritans and Jews, racial tension, prejudice, animosity. They didn't want to speak to each other. If they could, they'd walk around each other's territory rather than through it. And so the disciples are traveling with Jesus. He's tired. They say, Lord, listen, we'll go into town and get lunch. Why don't you go ahead and just sit down here by the, by the well on the outside of town? We'll be back. Sounds good, guys. Go ahead. It's in the middle of the day. Nobody comes to the well in the middle of the day because it's hot. I mean, the women who come to the well for water, they come in the morning before the sun's beaten down, and so they're all gone, and he's just sitting there just... <sighs> Wouldn't you know it? Here comes some Samaritan woman. Doggone it. I bet he didn't say that. This woman comes. We don't even know her name. All we know is a woman from Samaria. So ladies, label yourself just a woman from and say what town you live in. Ready, set, go. One, two, three. Yeah, a woman from Huber. All right. Woman from Samaria. But I'm so glad he was interrupted. I'm so glad he had the conversation and say, don't, you don't bother me, I won't bother you. No, he starts this, can't help but be engaged in conversation totally in context, at a well, give me a drink. And before you know it, what Jesus tells her that I need to know, that I've experienced is that he is the living water. And because of that conversation and that interruption that he accommodated, I realized that Jesus is the one who can satisfy my thirsty soul when no one and nothing else can. Another interruption. <laughs> he's, he's in Cana, and this royal official comes up to him. Jesus, I need you to heal my, my, my family member. And where's that? What's in Capernaum? Now, we say that. We read that. And most of us don't bother going looking up the map in the back of our Bible. Where's Canaan? Where's Capernaum? But if you did, it's about 30 miles away. Keep in mind, this guy's serious. You got to come to Capernaum. Okay, if you walk like a 15-minute mile on your treadmill, you're doing pretty good. Jesus, you got to come walk seven and a half hours with me to go heal my loved one. That's an interruption, amen? But from that interruption, because Jesus entertained him and, and did that healing, even actually even going, we see his compassion. So what's the biggest need in your life? The biggest hurt, the biggest struggle, the biggest disappointment? He cares about it. We see that over and over again. Uh, I'll come back to it, but so he's busy. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing, he's doing all this incredible stuff and traveling all around, usually by foot. And he's tired. Guys, we need a break. We need a weekend. Let's go across the other side of the lake. So they go across the Sea of Galilee, and if you've ever been to Israel, you can see across it. 
and end to end. It's large, but you can still see the, the other shoreline. And it's kind of like mountains, sort of like foothills of Denver-ish. So the crowd sees that Jesus is going across the Sea of Galilee to a little retreat. And they follow him. And he shows up, and they're just starting to relax and chill out. And when you know, do you hear something? I, I hear something. And this whole crowd shows up. Talk about, and talk about rude. Talk about people, I need a break. Jesus saw opportunity in the interruption. And I'm so glad that he did. I'm so glad he entertained them. Didn't send them away. Because in it, among other things, he interrupts the disciples. The disciples are trying to manage the crowd. Hey, guys, why don't you give them something to eat? What? We didn't plan that. Talk about interruption. But here's what we learn in that. We learn that my little, when God blesses it, can be enough. And we have an adversary. Satan likes to convince you all the time, you're not enough. You're not adequate. You can't. Never will. But you know what? Even if I only have little... When God blesses it, it's enough. Because the disciples, best they can come up with, I mean, this whole event wasn't planned. This crowd shows up interrupting us. And then he wants to feed them. Um, Lord, <laughs> so much for feeding the crowd, but we have this little boy here. He's got five rolls and two fish. If you'd like to have lunch, you could eat. How cool is that? And Jesus says... Have them sit down. Put them in groups. Watch this. He didn't say watch this, but I would if I was Jesus. <laughs> and he prays. He, he gives thanks and he blesses it. I don't care who you are, what you have. If he calls you to the moment, if he adds his blessing to who you are and what you have, it will, you will be enough. I learned that because he took the time and he saw opportunity in the interruption. Say opportunity in the interruption. In fact, tell your neighbor, tell somebody else, opportunity in the interruption. And then, a lot of interruptions happen when Jesus is sitting down. He's sitting down in the temple, and he's teaching, and they said he teaches one having as one having authority. He's teaching in the temple, and all of a sudden, there's a commotion in the crowd. What's going on, boy? Oh, here they come. Here come the scribes and Pharisees, all the religious bigwigs. And I'm sure Jesus... <sighs> what's it going to be this time? But instead, they realize, well, there's somebody with them. And before you know it, they're, they're pushing their way to the head of the crowd. And they throw this woman down in front of Jesus. She's been crying, traumatized, scared to death, look in her eyes. And they say, teacher. Now, again, remember, I said before, when you think of Jesus and the crowd and the Pharisees, think of whatever politician with a hostile news conference Think of that kind of tension. That's how they ask Jesus questions. Teacher, the law says, Moses, this woman, we found her, we caught her in the act of adultery, the very act. And I want to go, how'd you do that? And where's he? But they didn't ask me. The law says, let that sink in. Okay. The law says she should be stoned to death. What do you think? Well, you know the story. Jesus doesn't even answer. He's, he says, Whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he reaches down and he starts drawing in the, in the dirt. And, and what we, we don't even learn it. We just don't, we know it. 
we're really good at feeling pretty self-righteous about other people's sins, especially when we rank them and their sin is worse than my sin. And we give ourselves loads of grace and give them none. And so I wouldn't know how long they waited there. It must have felt like an eternity. But this woman, when he says, where are your accusers? She says, I have none. I am so glad Jesus didn't say to those religious people coming in, guys, I got a lesson going on here. You can wait outside. Here's this interruption. There's phenomenal opportunity, not just for her and for them, but for thousands of people, millions of people, untold throngs of people, thousands of years later in Dayton, Ohio, at a place called Christian Life Center, because I want you to know that what I say is neither do I condemn you. He's not a God of condemnation. I forgive you. Now stop sinning. And I will help you do all that. He'll forgive us if we ask, first time every time. He'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then with the help of his Holy Spirit, he will help you learn to stop sinning. Neither I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And talk about compassion. Talk about patience. Whew. I need both. One more, then we'll move on. I'd like to keep going. So Jesus is traveling in a crowd. And we tend to think a crowd is not like the Bible talks about crowds. It's, crowds are cultural. Like even now, we have, we have a Western crowd here, Western culture, okay, uh, especially Northern Hemisphere and maybe European, okay, because you got your space, right? Look around, look left, look right, look in front of you, look behind, okay? I mean, most of you that came in, if you had to, you scooted all the way over and sat next to somebody you don't know. But I like my space. So you got two seats of space, three seats of space, one seat of space, four seats of space. We got our space, personal space, right? We like it. Say my personal space. Okay, it's cultural. If you've been in other cultures, it's way different. You go way south, Latin America, it's way different. You go to Africa, you go Middle East, it's way different. And in Israel, personal space in a crowd movement was like this. I mean, you're, you're like, it's tight. And Jesus is moving with his disciples and a crowd full of people, and it, there is no personal space. It's just crammed. And on that particular day, whenever, wherever Jesus was going and the agenda that he and his disciples had, an interruption happens. At the same time that that's going on, there's this woman who is reaching her breaking point. And I love studying this book because aha moments hit me. Uh, and, oh, by the way, when I said that not every distraction should be attended to, well, let's use Jesus' life to prove that. Go to the trans story of the transfiguration, and Jesus goes up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, in fact, I was prepping for the message. I'd never saw that before, that the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, he picks them. And in Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John, he picks them. I'm not sure the correlation. I haven't gotten that far yet, but it's just like a huh thing, right? But anyways, they're on the Mount transfiguration, and Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus. And Peter, the guy with an idea a minute, okay, and he tends to speak first and think later, Lord, this is so cool. My paraphrase, all right? This is so cool. Let's build like three tabernacles, like three tents for each of you, and let's just stay here for forever. And Jesus goes, nah, we're not going to do that. Again, paraphrase, but that, 
So not every interruption should be attended to, should be followed through on. All right? But it takes some discernment, just some sensitivity, just some awareness. And those of us that tend to be really missile-locked and really driven and really busy and real whatever, at least need to open up our minds and our hearts to, you know, some interruptions, there could be some purpose in them. So Jesus is on this, on this busy road with his disciples, and this woman has reached her breaking point. And again, I, this is one of those, huh, that's cool. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. She had some kind of a hemorrhage, internal bleeding issue for 12 years. And Matthew's written to Jews, he's a tax collector. Mark's written to Romans, kind of hard-hitting. Luke is a doctor. He's a physician. Only Mark says that this woman had this issue of blood. They all say 12 years. And, and Mark elaborates, and she had spent all she had on doctors, and they did her no good. I just had to chuckle. Luke, the doctor, never says that part. Never says, took all her money and did her no good. Just said, 12 years, didn't help her. So anyways, she is desperate. Some of you are desperate today. It might be medical, relational, financial, emotional. And you feel as insignificant as a, as a very sick woman outside of the crowd. She says to herself, if I, I've heard about this guy. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, that's all I want. I believe it'll heal me. And so when I was in Israel in 2019 with our daughter, uh, we took a father-daughter trip there. We were in the town where this happened, and they built a little shrine to it. And I thought, oh, it would be good to pull that. I've shown this painting before, but this mural is on the wall and captures that moment. And all the disciples and their busyness, and, you know, we're, we're the top 12, so we're Jesus' handlers. We know this woman reaches through this crowd. And how attentive is Jesus to your hurts, to your desperation? When she touches him, he stops and says, who, who touched me? The disciples are like, who touched you? Lord, look around. Where do you start? No, somebody touched me because I felt healing power leave me. And you can imagine her, deer in a headlight, oh no, I'm in trouble now. And Jesus instead tells her her faith has made her whole. Lord, let me learn from you that there are some of those interruptions, are interventions, they're divine opportunities. Some of those interruptions are people who need compassion. Some of the interruptions will teach me truth I wouldn't know otherwise. Some of those interruptions will just broaden my horizons or some of those interruptions will open the door to a whole new season or direction in my life or family. I wonder how many I've missed. And then finally, Mary was interrupted by Gabriel. Again, set the context for Mary. Each of these fall in the context of somebody's life, just like interruptions happen in our life. And so Mary has met her Prince Charming. His name is Joseph. Want something special about Joseph? He's actually in the family line. He did Ancestry.com, found out he's related to David, King David. There wasn't Ancestry.com back then, but anyways. So that's pretty cool. Didn't have a lot of privileges to it, but he was in the family line of David. He's a, he's a carpenter. He has a good, good living, good business in Nazareth. And so she's imagining what it'll be like. Probably hasn't said yes to the dress yet, but she's looking forward to that. 
going to have a wedding shower. They certainly have a big wedding. It's a huge family celebration and feast for days. And she can't wait. She's dreaming of all that. And then she's dreaming someday after we're married, we'll have children. And my Joseph can make an amazing baby bed. We'll have an incredible little nursery for our children. And all those dreams of that young woman are interrupted in Luke chapter 1. And it says in verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. An angel interrupts this young girl, full of dreams. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Pardon the interruption. But she was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And when it comes to finding favor with God, we tend to Americanize our faith. We talked about it Wednesday night in the prayer service. Um, we tend to think of favor and we immediately materialize it and monetize it. Oh, I'm blessed with fill in the blank. This new thing, this new whatever, this raise, this my, oh my goodness. When you look at the Bible in a kingdom economy, when you find favor with God, the greatest blessing God can bestow upon you when you find his favor is more opportunity to serve and build the kingdom of God. You were faithful with a little, and I found you found favor. I'm going to put you over more and over more and over much. And Mary, my dear young woman, favored one, righteous one, you have found favor with God, and he's going to turn your life upside down. Your dreams will never be fulfilled like you thought they were, and some of you might be living that kind of life now. It's not going to go the way you dreamed. This is an interruption that will not stop and for some of you, the interruption wasn't temporary. The interruption totally changed your course in life. But God had tremendous potential in it. And so Mary, we see why she was chosen after she learns all this. She says, be it done to me according to, to, to your word. I'm the bond slave of the voluntary servant of God. Now understand the place this puts Mary. She's engaged She's a virgin. Now she's pregnant. That in itself is punishable by death under Mosaic law. What do you tell people? Um, I'm pregnant. Oh, you're pregnant. Yeah, but it's but I'm but God made me pregnant. That doesn't work. I'm giving birth to the Savior of the world. That doesn't work. So you have to keep all of that shame to yourself, knowing all full well, there is no shame to what you're doing. In fact, there's glory to what you're doing. And she had to go ahead and bear all that, all of her dreams, no wedding, no baby shower. No, In fact, you talk about a, a, a baby's nursery, your son's going to be born in a barn. Talk about an interruption. It makes me feel kind of petty about the stuff that interrupts me and messes my life or comfort or convenience. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have found a favor like Mary did. I'm like, wow, what a woman. I want to meet her and go, man, whew, how you handle that? And 
and with Mary, because obviously we think Christmas season. And, and our hope is that with this message, not only will it just change our orientation for what happens in our daily lives, and just be open to, God, are you in this? Is there an opportunity? Again, not every interruption. But depending on how we go through this, we can treat Christmas like an interruption and just blow it off. Oh, holiday, I got too much to do, whatever. Or we can go the other way and be so obsessed with what, we, what must happen at Christmas that if somebody doesn't go with the plan or something doesn't go as whatever, we take those interruptions and get so stressed out and strained by it. We kind of like to maybe identify you could land in that sort of happy, healthier middle and learn to hold life a little looser with a little more expectancy. God, what are you doing? Are you in this? And, and be willing to kind of process those interruptions and, and respond to those and maximize the potential that's not in each one, but is certainly in some of them. So what we're going to do is uh, we're just going to take a couple of minutes and uh, just play a little Christmas feel. And I'm going to invite you just to take about two minutes with me where you're seated if you want to stare off at Christmas lights or close your eyes in prayer or whatever. But as Kent just begins to pray, would you interrupt this? We interrupt this service and this closing with two minutes to give you a chance just to be interrupted and to think about the baby Jesus. Mary and Joseph, how they accommodated that. Think about an interrupting God, interruptible God, and just think about the way you hold the things and process things, and maybe he wants to do something new in you and your perspective this Christmas, and then we'll close in prayer. Lord, I pray you would open our minds and our hearts and loosen our grip on the, our lives and our time. Help us this holiday season when it comes to our family, Lord, to be open to what you might want to do in unexpected moments, conversations, turn of events. In the middle of same old, same old, help us to to be open to interruptions that might have you right in the middle of it. Or maybe as we go to work this week and there's another interruption, help us to see the opportunity. And this Christmas, we are so grateful that we can gather together 
And no doubt, Lord, is filled with festivities and activities, and we pray your blessing upon all of that. But help us, Lord, to be willing to be interrupted, but also to interrupt the busyness with moments of quiet and solitude and reflection, to drink deeply the beauty of this season and your love for us. And those that are here, Lord, that might feel like an interruption or feel like they're not enough or feel on the outside looking in, I pray that they would know your heart for them, that they would know you're a God who cares, a God who sees and loves us. And we're so thankful that you came to be Emmanuel, not some distant God who created the world and spun us off to our own, but you're, you are God with us. So we thank you. We pray you'd help us to likewise be as interruptible as Jesus in the right times, the right ways. In your name we pray. I'm asking you to stand with us. And our team uh, identified, you know, it'd be kind of good to close with a prayer. It was actually by Sir Francis Drake. And he was an English explorer. He was the first English explorer to circumnavigate the world in the late 1500s. And he wrote a prayer that is titled, uh, Disturb Me, Lord. And when you read disturb over and over again, it uses the word interrupt. So we just decided to change it to interrupt me, Lord. Would you read this out loud with us as we put up on the screens? And let's make this our closing prayer. Let's, let's read it. Interrupt us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we dream too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Interrupt us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life, have fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity, and in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Interrupt us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wilder seas, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push back the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. This we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for being here. That prayer is also in your app. We'll see you this weekend for the Christmas experience. God bless you. Have a great day.